football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We are getting ready for all things Week 10 in the NFL. But first, a little note from our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. A great deal because all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight to put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. You guys have heard me talk about this for a few weeks now. It's $40 of value for just $20. If you haven't done it yet... You have to do it because you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sites in the USA. It's Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, use the promo code PFF, receive your free PFF Edge Edge annual subscription. It's a no-brainer. Go do it now. Pause the podcast. Go do it. Deposit. Ooh, I don't know about that. Pause and come back. I don't know about that. At least just just do it. it. Write a note. Listen to the podcast. Put a reminder. Then go do it. Okay. Monkey knife fight, promo code is PFF. All right, Sam, week 10, let's get into it. We have an action-packed show. There's going to be action packed throughout the show, including mm-hmm. uh, Mina Kimes' interview at the end. Mina Kimes of ESPN and Seattle Se- Seahawks fandom. And um, did you see the odds for the next Jeopardy host? I did, because from you a sent random, them to me. Ra- from a random sports book. Yes. Yeah, just act natural. Yes, I know. I okay. said that to you. Yes, yes, She's I did She's plus 2,200 to potentially replace Alex Trebek on Jeopardy. Wow. According to one sports book. That and, was and here quite she is. the eclectic group of people on the list. It was fascinating. Joe yes. Rogan was on there. Yeah. That really, would be, much lower. She has way better be a odds. Surprise. She has way better odds than Joe Rogan. I think I would be less surprised by Mina getting that gig than Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Mina's going to be on the show a little bit later. Were you Do on? not fast forward to that. you got to listen to us first and then her. Were you on the list? I did not make the list. Oh. I got a good host voice, though. I could do it. Right? I mean, you'd, they'd have to adjust all the camera shots, you know. That's the only thing holding me back. Anyway, let's get to the action. Thursday night football. Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans. Green line, and the, the line is a pick at this point, as of recording time, which I think makes a lot of sense. What do we make of these two teams who, by the way, rank fourth and fifth in just overall PFF grade? Tennessee Titans 83.5. Indianapolis Colts 83.3 so pick them kind of makes sense for this one it does um, they're very close in the PFF power ratings as well if you go to the green line um, page and you can find those that sort of uses all of the data <clears throat> rolls it all up together and basically tells you how good each team is on a neutral field they are where are they 9 and 11 so they're very tightly bunched together in that as well I kind of like the Colts as this matchup though like I think really in isolation in a vacuum both teams are very similar but i think that indianapolis matches up well with tennessee in particular the colts offense goes as philip rivers feels comfortable so if you're not going to pressure philip rivers if he doesn't feel 
uncomfortable in the pocket, if he doesn't fear the fact that you're going to get pressure on him, I think you get good Philip Rivers, who is still good. Like Philip Rivers, when he plays well, is is decent. He generally avoids throwing the ball to the opposition. What? Um, generally. Yeah, generally. You know, every now and again happens. But if you get that guy, you're in business. And I think that matches up well with the fact that Tennessee is not great when it comes to pressuring the quarterback. They don't have anyone that consistently wins one-on-one. Jadevian Clowney comes in, adds something, doesn't add elite one-on-one pass rushing, right? Harold Landry, the same thing. It's just never become that guy yet. Jeffrey Simmons can, to an extent, inside, but he's going up against the interior of the Indianapolis offensive line, which is really good. So I think they're well set up to keep Phillip Rivers protected. So the offense should be in pretty good shape. And then like Tennessee's uh, Tennessee's offense has been struggling in recent weeks. And the Colts' D, while it might be inflated by their schedule, is is good. Yeah, so you mentioned Rivers and, you know, the tale of five games versus three games in Rivers' season right here. Five games grading between 73 and 86. So those are all good, above Mm -hmm. average grades. He has no grades in the 60s this year, and he has three 56 or below, including that 36 against the Browns. So against the Bears, against the Ravens, and against the Browns, Rivers, well below average games. They pulled off the uh, the Bears game despite his play. But when he's played well, the Colts have, have looked pretty good. When he's struggled, the Colts have struggled. So to your point, it is when when teams are creating pressure and phantom pressure. And some of you have already watched this game. It looks like a really good one on paper. I, I, the quarterback matchup, I think, is great. You know, Rivers, the the roller coaster ride that I mentioned, Ryan Tannehill, still ranked number 10 in our quarterback grades. Um, coming back down to earth, though, a little bit more in recent weeks. Uh, a little bit more pressure with, you know, the, the tackle uh, injuries that the Titans have had. So I think there's a lot of good storylines. To, to, uh, to keep an eye on here. And AFC South, how hard could it be? Supremacy is on the line. How hard can it be? Supremacy. Something yeah, like that. On, thir- on Thursday Night Football. <clears throat> so if you already watched the game, I hope you'd enjoy, you enjoyed it. Who'd you pick? Um, I'm going to take Tennessee. Okay. I think Tennessee. So You're going split. Indy. Yeah. In Tennessee, I'm going with the Titans. And not in all caps. All right, let's get to some of the best games of the week starting with the Baltimore Ravens at the New England Patriots. And is this one of the best games of the week? I was about to ask you. You think this is one of the best games of the week in 2020, the year of our Lord? Yeah. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overrating the fact that New England made a 10-point comeback against the... The Jets. The Jets. That's what you're coming with? Did they, football. The Jets had the Patriots beaten for most of that game, and you think that the Patriots can hang with Baltimore? Well, first of all, listen. There's one other game potentially competing for games of the week. Okay. And that would be the Bills and the Cardinals on yes. our list here that just missed it. I do think there's something to Bill Belichick and his defense trying to stop Lamar Jackson. It's Sunday night football again, right? Sunday night football. Um, just like it was last year when the Ravens ran up and down the field on the Patriots. So I think there's always something to Belichick going up against these good young quarterbacks that he's already faced before and seeing those adjustments and um, I think it's going to be – it's a seven-point spread, Baltimore being favored on the road. But I think it's going to be a, a decent game. Did you see Lamar Jackson's comments about their offense? No, I did not. He was saying essentially that – I think people read maybe a little bit more into this than he actually meant. But he was basically saying that 
defenses are calling out what they're doing before the snap. You know, like they've become predictable enough whereby like, he's busy listening to a defense like, hey, run, run, left. Like we know what's coming essentially. And, you know, people have, people have taken that as like, hey, this offense is so predictable. They're like calling out the play as opposed to they're able to tell from tendencies, run pass, you know, a few higher level things as opposed to this is that specific play that they run. You know what I mean? Right. But if most teams are already at the point of figuring that out, like Belichick knows exactly what you're doing. You know yeah, what I mean? If, it, if it's from tendencies, if you're able to pick out basic stuff like that, like Belichick is basically you got a, you know, a telegraph system about exactly what's coming. So this, this will be interesting because if your quarterback is calling that out to the media, I think it was on the Rich Eisen show that he did it. Um, like that's got to be a fairly pointed notice to the building, right? That, hey, we should probably like self-scout this and fix it. Rich Eisen, friend of the show. Yeah, I think, yeah, obviously if, there's, if you're saying it publicly, then you're almost certainly going to come out and adjust and do the opposite. Right. I mean, well, you, you're essentially forcing that to happen, right? By doing that. You can't. Just so, just so people understand too, I think one of the, one of the fascinating things about football and one of the, the things that PFF has brought value to through the years is the ability to self-scout as well as scout your opponents. And when we're talking with teams and coaches and stuff like that, they use the phrase, everybody studies offense, right? So you study the opposing offense because defense by nature is more reactionary. You have to adjust to what the offense is doing. You have to line up against their formations and adjust to it and know what they're going to do. But also the offense needs to know what they're doing. That's their point. So if the Ravens are going to go and they have, they have to go and self-scout and say, okay, when we're in this formation or when we show this look or when we use this motion, we tend to do this, this, and this. It's not that difficult to unpack that in a week and find your percentages and adjust, but that's what makes, I think, this cat and mouse game really interesting, right? Are you, does Belichick in New England, do they play the tendencies? Do they expect adjustments? The, the, the Ravens offense is going to determine how far they go. They were dominant last year. We've mentioned every week they're not great at coming back, coming from behind. They do have to get back on track. They had a pretty good second half. Mina mentions it too in the, pod, uh, in the interview. They had a pretty good second half against the Colts, but they're not as dominant as they were last year, and they're going to need to be to keep up with the Chiefs and the Steelers and some of these other teams they're competing with. Yeah, I mean, there's one of the prevailing questions this season is, what is wrong with the Baltimore offense, right? And I think there's a bunch of different things wrong with it, but you can probably start to add predictability to the list. Like if, you, if the quarterback is raising that as an issue, unprompted essentially in the middle of the week, it's probably an issue. So if the, it's very easy, I think, to get complacent and to get predictable just by not paying attention to what you're doing. You know, not, not paying attention might be the right wrong way of phrasing it, but to not consciously stay on top of making sure you're not predictable you end up becoming predictable just through human nature right like human beings automatically sort of lurch into habits we're creatures of habit right so if you're not like specifically avoiding doing that you're going to end up doing the same things repeatedly in the same situations just by human nature and that's apparently what's happened to baltimore is they have become predictable enough that teams are starting to flag that which is only compounding the problems that they already have in terms of worse offensive line lamar hasn't been 100 percent healthy all these things like they need to do they need to, that's the one that they can fix immediately right they go back self-scout figure out what their tendencies are and change them immediately the offensive line isn't getting transformed anytime soon like the other things are harder to fix that one 
they could do between Lamar giving that interview and taking the field against New England. The other thing that looks like a mismatch on paper that I think New England will be able to adjust to, New England has the second worst run defense by PFF grades. We always talk about run defense being not only less important, but also something you can fix by counting. Right. You can fix with numbers. So does New England go into this and say, we're going to, you know, the traditional, we're going to make Lamar beat us with his arm. We are going to put eight, nine in the box. And we're just going to say, look, we, we man for man, we're not, we're not equipped to, uh, to stop the run, right? They're missing key pieces up front. Dante Hightower opted out. Like he is one of those dudes up front that makes your run defense better. Lawrence Guy not being around. Like they, they're missing key pieces up front. So do they just play the numbers game? stack the box, make Lamar throw the ball. I think that's where they're going to lean. On the other side of the ball, Cam Newton's actually throwing the ball pretty well. And it it's tough to explain with a stat line of two touchdowns and seven interceptions mm. that he's actually throwing the ball all right. You know, part of that stat line is, hey, he just keeps running the ball in when he has opportunities on the goal line. Some of those interceptions aren't on him. But the last few weeks, Cam has thrown the ball a little bit better. And Jacoby Myers has emerged as their top playmaker, a dominant game against the Jets on Monday Night Football. Yeah, they, they seem to be sort of dialing in to basically the only guys that can get open in that offense. Like Jacoby Myers, I don't want to say he's their best receiver because let's say a healthy Julian Edelman can, is probably still the best guy they have. On the other hand, we haven't really seen a healthy Julian Edelman for a while. So Yeah, and while for he's now, out, it's definitely Myers. Right, for now, Jacoby Myers is their best receiver. Jameer Bird is the only guy with speed, and those are the two guys that he's basically throwing the ball to right now. Right. And that makes sense because nobody else is worth anything at the moment in that offense. You know, a guy like Nikhil Harris coming back into the lineup from his timeout, I, I don't know that he moves the needle for you unless you get him a couple of gimmick plays of, you know, end-arounds, reverses, that kind of thing, get him the ball in his hands without having to get open to do it. But Cam Newton... I think is still a decent quarterback, but he's got the problem he had in Carolina for a lot of his time there, which is you just haven't given him guys that are going to get open, which means you're asking him almost every single time he attempts a pass to put it into a really tight window. And he's on a run right now of being pretty good at that, but that's just a low percentage play long-term. You're at least describing guys with roles, though. Jacoby Myers, the route runner. Demir Bird, the speed guy who's going to run the yeah. vertical route tree. Nikhil Harry on some gimmick <laughs> plays. James White underneath. It it at least feels like it can be coming together. The thing I'm watching for here is when Cam has struggled, it's when his decision-making, his processing has been slow. And of all the teams, every week we talk about the Ravens make you slow. They yeah. make you a little indecisive. So I'll say the same thing I said about last week's Sunday night football game and was way wrong about. Hmm. If there's a blowout in this game, <laughs> it's probably the Ravens blowing out right. the Patriots. Yeah. But I do, I do think the fascinating matchup is Belichick, you know, stitching it together as the underdog, trying to keep it together. I think Belichick in an underdog role will be an interesting to watch in some of these games, the second half of the season and how they do things here. Yeah, I think that chess battle is the interesting one. Belichick still unrivaled in terms of game-to-game -game ability to scheme something up, and Baltimore with a very real schematic problem that their own team has flagged in terms of the predictability that they bring to the table. Have they had a chance to adjust that during this week, knowing that it's an issue, knowing that you're about to face Belichick, who of all coaches in the NFL will find that as a problem and dial in on it? All right, who are you taking in this one? Baltimore. Same. Baltimore. It's either going to be a good game or a blowout. That's my, that's my prediction. Yeah? Yeah, how's that? Wow. Bold. All right, let's go to the NFC West. Seattle Seahawks at the Los Angeles Rams. 
what if I told you the Rams were favored by one and a half in this game? I would say, okay, um, sure. Like the Rams, <laughs> they're still, their entire season is still built on beating up the NFC East, which they still lead, by the way, at week nine. Going they into do. week 10. There is, there's no debating that. They are still atop the NFC East. I will say this. Every week, the Rams' defense, you know, they, they, they pose a challenge for opposing passing attacks. They play soft-ish, right? They play too high. They make you earn it. I think if there's a defense that can slow down the big playability of the Seahawks, it's the Rams. Aaron Donald's, you know, the... Seattle's guards are playing pretty well because they haven't faced Donald yet, so their mm. grades are fine. Now they're going to get destroyed. And I think it's going to be a good matchup. It, it, we, always, we always go back to the quarterback. And here's remember we were talking about Carson Wentz? Yes. First three weeks of the season. What's wrong with Carson Wentz? Everything. So Carson Wentz, the first three weeks of the season, had a 45 PFF grade. Mm-hmm. The last three games, guess what Jared Goff's PFF grade is? 45? 46. Damn it. It's better than Glenn's. <clears throat> so just to remind you that narratives at the beginning of the season just happen to be at the beginning of the season rather than the middle or the end. Jared Goff is essentially going through the same ridiculous slump maybe that Carson Wentz went through. He must play better for this game to even be close. So um, I, just yeah. an interesting I mean, I, It is. The Rams' defense is good. Um, on the other hand, they're 5-3, and three and four of those wins are against the NFC East. Yeah, I understand. Um, the Seahawks, I, everyone is going to look at them as a disaster because of what happened to them last week, which was a lot of their own doing, a lot also of they're missing some guys and even guys that they had forced in there were not 100% healthy. Um, I, they're better than they showed against Buffalo is my point. And I think they're better than the Rams. Like they, Russell Wilson, their offense might struggle a little bit against a good defense. On the other hand, their defense shouldn't look nearly as bad as it did against Buffalo and they should have also taken some lessons against both from that Buffalo defeat and apply those to the Rams game in a way that should stymie that Rams offense that isn't doing particularly well anyway yeah Seattle Mina talks about it a little bit with the the game plan um Seattle's still finding trying to find their way defensively I think it's one of the underrated stories of the season the fact that they had been a four-man rush cover three team forever they have one of the worst front fours in the NFL. They add number 43, Carlos Dunlap, wearing number 43 Mistake. last week, defensive end. It's just bad. bad Is he going to change that? He's got to change it at least. Anyway, um, they add that, but still, it's not a good four-man rush. So it's Bobby Wagner blitzing like crazy. It's Jamal Adams blitzing like crazy. They are changing their defense on the fly, trying to figure out what works. So I think it's just it's an underrated story because it hasn't worked very well this year yeah so it's interesting because <laughs> jamal adams and bobby wagner might be two of their best three pass rushers um they just happen to be playing safety and linebacker but they're blitzing them a lot because of that and because they can get them schemed up one-on-one matchups against running backs and that and the like do you think it's a problem though that they are actually doing that it's working in terms of generating a bit of pressure but they're taking like fairly important members of the coverage out to do that like it's not like they're just rushing the passer with these guys and there's no downside like they're actually causing holes on the back end that's already a kind of problem right and there are holes that generating pressure aren't offsetting 
Um, so one thing that I, I found interesting, and I don't know how <clears throat> this isn't the most predictive way of looking at quarterback play, um, but looking at Russell Wilson's grades by coverage, right? So the, the Rams play a lot of cover four, cover six. Again, that four across shell or two high shell, where in theory there are deep opportunities there, but they are trying to limit your big plays, keep the ball in front. Russell Wilson's best passing grades this year have come against cover six, best against cover six, third best against quarters. So a lot of the stuff you're going to see traditionally from the Rams. His worst grade comes against cover zero. And then, you know, Mina mentions this as well. Later on, he's he has not handled, uh, you know, simulated or f phantom pressure, right? Simulated pressure up front, but also the, the, also the actual zero blitz when you send everybody and don't have a safety, which is scary when you've got DK and you have Tyler Lockett, but teams have had good success there, and that's where he's had a few of his turnover-worthy plays. So I just think that'll be interesting as well. The Rams have done a really good job of avoiding those big plays, and how will they handle Russ? Will they get aggressive with the blitz? Will they sit back a little bit more? And then anytime Jalen Ramsey goes up, is he the one guy that can match up against Well, this DK? if it goes this way, which it probably should, you have Jalen Ramsey against DK Metcalf as a one-on-one -on -one matchup. And then on the other side, you have Tyler Lockett against Darius Williams, who's quietly become really good. Like, we talked all last year about how Troy Hill, or Troy, Troy Hill? Troy Hill. Yeah, why yeah. did that sound wrong in my head? Troy Hill player. has become, you know, a pretty good secondary player when he doesn't have to match up with the likes of DK Metcalf. They kick him into the slot this year and they give Darius Williams that starting spot and it looks justified. Like, he'll is playing pretty well still, but Darius Williams is actually playing really well as that secondary guy. Again, because he doesn't have to match up with the true number one, that's who Jalen Ramsey gets. So now suddenly that's a really decent secondary, like one, two, three. And Williams against Lockett is a pretty fun individual matchup as well. Yeah, this is, I think this will be a great game. Uh, I, don't, I, know, I don't know if I buy the Rams favored, but I... Undefeated at home. Oh, there you go. You know what I meant to mention? To Mina, though, what the uh, the the 12th man complex that Seattle fans have? Okay, they're undefeated at home Ooh. with no fans. <laughs> Their fans love to take credit. Oh, we're right. loud and best home this. field advantage in the NFL. Is it really though? Is it the fans? Listen, fans, it's not you. It's Russ. That's the issue. I, I like Seattle in this game, but um, the more when we talk it out, you you see where the Rams might have those advantages, right? I, the 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 Seattle offense against the Los Angeles Rams defense will be a really fun matchup. Um, but I'm I, I just I can't buy into the Rams yet until they beat non NFC East people. I mean that's the bottom line. Hmm. So I'm going to take Seattle, but not just because of the NFC East thing. But I'm going to take Seattle just because of the yeah. NFC East thing. Keep an eye on Goff and what they do with Goff. The story of his season so far has been early year. Through four weeks or so, he's one of our highest-graded quarterbacks because he had almost no negative plays. But if you look at the way they were playing, it was play-action, rollout. It was all protected, you know, passes, schemed-up passes. Since that point, he had, it was a train wreck against the Dolphins before the bye. I mean, it just putting the ball in harm's way. There was a lot more drop-back passing. It just wasn't as clean. But keep an eye on Goff and his development here. All right, let's go to – this is a good one. Los Angeles Chargers at the Miami Dolphins. I'm calling this one of the games of the week because you have Herbert versus Tua. You have the Miami Dolphins on the upswing. Speaking of cover zero, mm. that's what they're doing. They're attacking. We've seen Herbert against cover zero, the best play that he had, one of the best plays he had all year against the Bucks. 
they sent the house and he stood in there and he made a big pass for about 70 yards and those 70 yarders are like you know almost a weekly staple for this chargers offense this is there's so many storylines in here you go back to the draft the dolphins picked fifth the chargers picked sixth the dolphins took Tua at five chargers takes herbert at six the Chargers in their post-game press conference essentially hinted at their quarterback was taken off the board in Tua and that they went with Herbert as the you know last resort. Plenty around the league have seen Herbert's big plays, and not only would they take him over Tua, they would take him over Joe Burrow now. So there's a, a lot's happened in half of a season of football. What are you looking for in this one? I mean, that's the story, right? It's This is a chance for Miami to answer this narrative that was flying around until they put to a, until last week, basically, that given the opportunity for a do-over, they would take Justin Herbert. I mean, last week he Tua played really well, and he it did. Was he, like, he played much better than he did the first week, right? And it was that was an answer, right? It was like, no, no, we're happy with our quarterback as well. We think he's the real deal. That's why we put him in the lineup instead of Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was playing pretty well. This is a chance to answer that question again in direct competition with the guy that you had or that people were saying you should have taken. And also you also you can affect him, right? You're a defensive coach. You get the chance to mess up his game as well. Not only do you show that, hey, we got it right by picking the right quarterback, but you also get to ruin the day of the guy who everybody was saying you should have taken in the first place. The week one matchup for Tua was against the Rams, the team that we were just talking about with the Seahawks. They make life difficult on quarterbacks, and, and they did, I think, you know, in, in that limited time. Last week, a little bit easier matchup against the Cardinals. The Chargers are easy in the, in the way they play defense. It's again, more static looks. It's going to be your cover three, and you know what you're going to get. And what, I think what we've seen from the Chargers this year is – they still have talent on the defensive side, but there's so many coverage busts. There's yeah. so many just free plays, Whether even whether it's Drew Locke making a comeback a few weeks ago or Drew Brees picking them apart in the second half or Tom Brady picking them apart in the second half. Like week after week, the chart last week against Derek Carr, some big plays in there. The Chargers are still just giving up too many big plays like with this you know pretty static, traditional cover three system. And... You know, that's something they need to clean up, but it's also, I think, an opportunity for Tua in the Dolphins passing game this week. It is, but he's going to be under pressure again. Um, it's like it's an interesting starting run of teams he's faced because you have the Rams, you have Aaron Donald, who on his own can put you under pressure pretty consistently, right? right. You then face the Cardinals, who now don't have an elite pass rusher because Chandler Jones is down, but they're going to blitz a lot, they're going to scheme up some things, and they're going to come after you that way. And now you face the Chargers who are one of the most uh, blitz-averse teams in the NFL. They don't come after you at all with extra guys because they've got a really good front four, and they generate a lot of pressure that way. So, you know, the, the front four from the Chargers should still be able to get after Tua and cause some problems. He, not only did he have a good week last week, but the offensive line, three out of the five, graded pretty well as well. Like, had their best games, essentially, blocking for him. So that's an intriguing thing is how much pressure is he going to be under and how does he handle it when he is? Um, because that, I think, is still is always going to be a significant thing for any young quarterback. Now, weirdly, all three of the first rounders this year have been dealing absurdly well with that pressure. You've got Burrow, who somehow isn't being broken down by his. You've got Herbert, who just consistently keeps dropping those 70-yard bombs in the face of the blitz. Right. And you've got Tua, who handled it pretty well and did some of those Russell Wilson-type plays last week. Um, but it's always a, 
like a, a volatile, inconsistent thing. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop like all the time. So it's a chance for Tua to show that he can still be that guy. And then the other side of the ball, I'm curious to see what this Miami New England South defense can do to a guy like Herbert. Yeah, they've played, you know, they've played pretty well. They gave up some big plays against Kyler last week. There's a contested possession one. Byron Jones yeah. has the interception. It's Taking kind of, of taken away from him. For I called that my luckiest pass of the week in my column this week where Kyler Murray basically threw an interception that became a touchdown in the stats. But yeah, my I think it's the the nature of a man-heavy matchup-driven system is you're going to get beat sometimes. You're going to have, you know, Christian Kirk's running behind the defense, uh, you know, for for a deep pass and you know, you're going to have maybe some big plays every now and again, but it's the throw for throw difficulty, tight windows, uh, you know, having to anticipate, throw guys open into space. I mean, that's what the a man-heavy system does and I think that will be a good matchup. Uh, by, are, by the way, on Tua, really quick, we had mentioned, can he get rid of the ball quickly like Fitz had? Their time to time to attempt is almost identical. 2.23, 2.28. So it's still a quick-hitting Dolphins offense. The overall time in pocket, which includes scrambles and sacks, two is a little bit higher, but those are those plays we talked about the other day where he's extending and stepping through the pocket and scrambling. You'll have some of those, but the pretty much throw-by-throw to attempt is very similar. So they're still protecting that offensive line just a little bit. Justin Herbert's um, against man coverage this year. Seven big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays. Yeah. Again, that's just the king of these, like, volatile, unsustainable numbers. But you're also you're less likely to throw turnover-worthy stuff into man coverage. You're more likely to throw well, okay, those when you have the defense's eyes sure, on you. But for, you know, other quarterbacks that are – of that kind of big play, slightly volatile ilk. Um, Josh Allen is 11 and 5 this season. Patrick Mahomes is 10 and 5. Patrick um, Mahomes does not have any turnover worthy plays. Of course Sam. not. He has one interception this year. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Kyla Murray, 4 and 4. Oh, sorry, 4 and 2. Um, I mean, just, yeah, he's, he's of the, like, that's an outlier, right? Now, it doesn't mean it won't continue this week, but again, it's like those are the plays that he's going to have to make because. The Dolphins are going to throw some stuff at him, and they're going to be playing man coverage, and he's got to show that he can beat that again. All right, the Ch the Dolphins are five and three. Yes. The Chargers are two and six. Yes. The point differential for the Dolphins is legit. You know, you've got that dominating game against the Niners. Maybe it skewed may things maybe a little bit, but the Dolphins have played well. They've won four straight. Who do you like in this one? <sighs> I like Miami, but I don't like it, if that makes sense. I, the, at some point, the Chargers have to stop finding ridiculous ways to lose games, right? right? Like, they just... You would think. They had a winning touchdown against the Las Vegas Raiders taken off the board, effectively, because it hit the ground. Now, I'm not saying it was wrong, but I'm saying they were a replay away from winning that game. They're very close right. to a and, lot of wins. And the Raiders, you would say, are in a similar place to the Dolphins. They're also five and three. They're on two straight wins. They're a good team as well. Like the Chargers are not a terrible team. They're not as bad as their record, but they somehow keep finding ways to screw up these results. Overreact. Justin Herbert or Tua from what you've seen? So far? Yeah. I mean, so far you would have to take Herbert, right? Because we've seen more of it. 
are we at a point, I can't remember how many times we've talked about it here on this podcast, are we at a point where maybe as much as we've LOL'd at arm talent and all that stuff, are we just hitting a run of arm talenty type of quarterbacks having success? Or is it a legitimate part of today's NFL where you just you you need that bit wider, bigger margin of error? So you've got a Josh Allen, you have Patrick Mahomes should be in that conversation here. Because if you look at Mahomes' arm talent versus Deshaun Watson and Mitch Trubisky coming out that year, Mahomes is one out. Allen is doing his thing. And now Herbert, am I missing anybody? But like the arm talent guys are having success. You want a theory? Yes. It's just off the top of my head. Yeah. I haven't thought it all the way through, so it might be, you know, horseshit. Um, Nobody's listening anyway. It's okay. Perfect. Just me and you. So, yes, we're definitely having a run of these toolsy quarterbacks develop and work out better than their counterparts, right? The non-toolsy guys that are smarts and savvy and all this kind of stuff. We're also seeing the league play more zone coverage and it's played in a long time. Like, it's pivoted away from man-heavy systems towards zone stuff. And what that does is I think probably tighten your windows, right? Because yeah. ge- the entire defense now has eyes on the quarterback. So when you give them a read on where you're going, they as soon as you lock into your target and start to cock to throw, they're breaking, right? If you have a noodle, they have more time to get there than if you have a cannon strapped to your shoulder and you can fire the ball into a tight window. If you're playing man coverage, you're not looking at the quarterback and that guy doesn't need to, put the, to fire it in there. He can just put the ball, like Drew Brees, right? He doesn't need to have a cannon. All he needs to do is put the ball in the right spot. And if you've read the coverage right, everyone's not paying attention to where you are. You just need to be accurate. You just need to drop it in a bucket. So if you if everybody was playing man coverage, you might have a better success story from these accurate noodle arm quarterbacks that just can read a defense and know where they're going with the ball. If everybody's playing zone, you do actually need some velocity on that thing to be able to fit it into these windows. Not a bad theory. That's my theory. The, the other thing on man coverage, though, is you have so many throws where a dude's on his hip. Sure. And you need a little bit of zip to get a pass there. So, I mean, it kind of goes. I get, I get but what I don't like, though. again, I don't think you necessarily need zip to get that ball in. You just need supreme accuracy. Yeah. Like if, you, if he's on your hip, if you put it a yard and a half beyond the end of his reach, it's hitting the receiver and not the DB. It just, I, it's a really tight window. But I think at a macro view, though, passing is becoming easier in the NFL. Yeah. And because passing is becoming easier, the things that guys struggled with previous, because That's NFL fair. offenses are better at getting guys open. Yeah. And we're seeing, like, linebackers are getting destroyed this year by NFL offenses, linebackers, you know, underneath defenders. So NFL offenses are becoming better, making life easier, creating more open throws. Therefore, the big plays, you know, are I got more another valuable. One. I got another one. I got another thing to add to my theory. The only, th- the only penalty that's up this year, defensive pass interference, everything else is down, right? So offenses are on the field more because you're not, there's no holding penalty to take you back 10 yards, put you behind the chains and crap out your drive. So you keep going. The only penalty that's up is defensive pass interference, which effectively encourages yeah. the pointless deep shot into, cra- into good coverage. Chuck it up there. Right. So you're actively encouraging the guys with the cannon to just drop back and go, all right, heave it downfield, pass interference. Away we go. You might need to have a whole podcast on this. Oh, I got theories on theories. So you're taking Miami. I'll take Miami in this one as well. Herbert versus two. I can't wait to watch that one. Let's get through the rest of the slate. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Carolina Panthers. Will the Bucks be able to bounce back here as five and a half point favorites on the road against the Panthers? They played back in week two. Both teams feel different at this point, though. The Bucks have gone from the Super Bowl contender 
to demoralized on Sunday night football <laughs> in a week. And then the Panthers went from, you know, maybe competing for the number one overall pick to being really competitive to, yeah, kind of falling back down to earth these last couple of weeks. What are you expecting in this one? So what's interesting is, again, I'm <laughs> this is the second week in a row I think I said this. I'm not usually big on the idea of the blueprint to beat a team. On the other hand, New Orleans did kind of show the blueprint to beat Tampa Bay or at least expose problems with their scheme on both sides of the ball as long as the Bucs are going to play with that game plan. So it, the first thing is, do Tampa Bay stick with that game plan, right? Do we play soft zone coverage against an accurate quarterback or do we come after him a bit more? Because apparently that didn't work against Drew Brees. Now, Teddy Bridgewater is clearly not Drew Brees, but he can pick apart his own if you sit back and give it to him all day. I'm pretty sure Teddy Bridgewater is undefeated as the Saints starting quarterback. Is Drew Brees undefeated? He's not, no. He's, okay. he's had many, many losses so, to the New Orleans Saints. I'm just, you know, it's your boy Teddy. I just want to make sure you've got your facts straight. As ben to Stockwell who. dropped me a nugget that I'm going to steal and use in the pod. Credited him, though. Um, the most, I think he des- described it as the most on, this most spectacularly on-brand stat for Teddy Bridgewater. You know what it is? I don't. The most zero-graded dropbacks in the NFL this season. Oh, that's definitely right. that's Teddy. So anyway, my point is, if Tampa Bay sit back in a soft zone again, Teddy can attack that and can not do what Drew Brees did to it maybe, but can cause them some problems. So that's the first thing. Are they going to play with that? And then the other side, I think that was a real issue with that Bucks offense last week. They just don't have the intermediate routes set up to mitigate pressure. Um, now, you need to be able to get that pressure, but if, if Tampa Bay has got problems on the offensive line again, like they need to figure out a way of solving that problem so that Brady has an option that isn't just a deep shot or a check down, something in the middle. Yeah. Uh, let, me, <clears throat> let me back up the Bridgewater stat because zero just means, you know, essentially neutral or expected from a quarterback standpoint. He's got the fourth lowest percentage of positively graded throws and the fourth lowest percentage of negatively graded throws. Here's the glue to all of that. Eric Eager, the doctor, the from doctor. the PFF forecast, he's, you know, we put grades essentially on play callers. What's the offense producing based off how well the players are playing is the, the basic way the, the, the formula works. He's got Joe Brady, offensive coordinator for the Panthers, as the number one play caller this season. I think Panthers fans be very encouraged by what Brady did at LSU and what they're doing in Carolina right now. I mean, the Panthers in a lot of ways are like a proto New Orleans Saints at this point, right? They have a physically limited quarterback who's smart, savvy, but doesn't make too many mistakes. They've got uh, everything they have is like a, it's a building phase, right? They're, they're almost like the development stage of what this year's New Orleans team is. So I think it, like, they can cause the Bucks a lot of the same problems as the Saints did. They're just not as good at it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like the Bucks to bounce back here. I, you know, we, we said it wasn't as bad as it felt. It was bad, oh, but it, it was maybe bad. wasn't as bad as it felt because it felt like it was 100 to nothing. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't 100 to nothing. It wasn't. On Sunday night. Um, the Bucks should play better. Usually week. the data says that like players like offensive linemen are fairly inconsequential in terms of moving a, a betting line and that kind of thing. I, Ali Marpet being there or not, I think is a genuinely major part of this game. Like if he's not there... Because it's not that Marpet is amazing, though he is one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL this year. It's that when he isn't there, he's replaced by Joe Haig, 
who at guard is a massive weak link. Right. He had a pass blocking grade in the 20s against the Saints. If Joe Haig is out there, he is a, li- a link in that chain weak enough that the entire thing can just fall to pieces and Brady is just getting buried every single play. Like he's bad enough to torpedo a game plan by himself against good opposition. So that he's questionable right now, but that's a big one to watch for this game. Also want to see the Antonio Brown factor week two. Does he get yeah. passes fed his way? Is it distributed better? See how Brady bounces back after that disaster. There's a lot to see in this one. I like the I like the Bucks though in this one. Yep. All right, let's go to the Houston Texans at the Cleveland Browns. Browns by three. Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield. Browns coming off a bye. What are you looking for in this game here? This game feels like there'll be a million points. I don't see yeah. how either defense stops the opposing offense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, – honestly, it's, I, I, do, I do Houston radio. I do Cleveland radio each week, and I, I say a lot of the same things every week, which is like the secondary for both teams will determine their season. Right. And Cleveland's has like they at least have a player back there that you could trust in Denzel Ward, but they've been stitching it together around him. With Houston, it's been a train wreck mm-hmm. and it's essentially wasted half a season of Deshaun Watson's best play in a surprisingly explosive offense in Houston. The Houston Texans are giving up the worst NFL passer rating allowed to any opposing quarterback this season. That's 114. Uh, oh, wait, hang on. That's got no place ticked. Let me untick the no plays and tell you what it actually is when the plays are counted. It's worse, 120.6. So they make everybody into MVP quarterback. Better than that. Uh, The best passer rating in the NFL right now is Aaron Rodgers at 117.5 on his revenge tour. Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, they're all 115 or higher. They turn every opposing quarterback into better than the MVP. Yeah. That's, That's not good, Texans. So Houston... I will. I'll turn you around. I will. I will draft for volume in the secondary. How hard could it be? How hard could it be? We'll turn that around. I, I like Watson. Watson gives you a baseline for success, or at least he should. That's the key. That's the thing I keep coming back to here. When you have a Deshaun Watson caliber quarterback, you should stumble into at least six or seven wins, no matter what is around you. Mm. At what point does that revert? Because it's still a difficult offense to defend with Brandon Cooks and Fuller and the speed that they have and Watson taking care of the ball. He's got the third lowest percentage of turnover-worthy plays. That is not anything like what Watson has done he's throughout become, his career. He's justified my preseason bullshit. He has. But the other thing, too, <laughs> like when you're playing in shootouts or from behind all the time, you're usually chucking it into coverage. Watson's not yeah. doing that. He's still taking the occasional sack or misreading the occasional unblocked pressure that he should read and get rid of the ball. But he's cleaned up a lot of his game and it's one of that's an underrated story in the NFL right now too because nobody knows because the Texans have two wins yep um and they're not going to get many more like this was the thing everyone was like oh once they clear this brutal opening to their schedule it's like yeah once they clear that they still have a hard schedule it doesn't get you know it's easier than the nightmare they had to open the season but it doesn't get easy it's still hard and this is what we're seeing so I I honestly think this is going to be a I mean this is going to be like you know 20 20 to 7 or something now that I've said this but this feels like a monster shootout like either offense should be in really good shape to exploit the opposition and points galore as much as I don't like Houston's team at all <laughs> I think they're going to win more games in the second half sure because of what they have offensively so I'm taking I'm taking the Texans in the upset oh, here not this against one, the though. Browns yeah no. this week against the Browns I, I don't think either defense Baker? is going to be in good shape to stop the other but I think the Browns, I mean, the Browns have a better shot than Houston, I think. I mean, it depends on which Baker you get, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, so Baker, like, 
the Texans are allowing a passer rating on average of 120. Baker actually has a below average NFL passer rating. He's got like 91, and the, the NFL average is like 100 at this point in this crazy season. So if Baker gets the typical bump that goes against the Houston defense, you might actually get good Baker. And even if he doesn't, like they're not going to be able to stop the run for the Browns. Like They're not going to stop that offense, period. All right, let's go to the Washington <laughs> football team at the Detroit Lions much like the Colts and t- Titans, but for different reasons. Even line. It's a pick em. Yeah, is it still a pick em? Washington and Detroit, as of right now. Um, it is. Matthew Stafford, you know, putting the ball in harm's way quite a bit. Mm. Alex Smith getting the start? Oh, God. What do you think in this one? Ah, uh, yeah. Like, Washington's offense is kind of depressing with what they're doing with the quarterback situation, regardless of who it is. Like, they're just... They're trying to execute the paint-by-numbers system that Dallas did a couple of weeks ago with Ben DiNucci at quarterback. Yeah. Only for different reasons. Well, no, I guess the same reason, but different, you know, causes. Uh, And it's kind of sad to watch. Like, they've got a couple of superstars in the making, one already a superstar, Terry McLaurin, who's quickly becoming the new Allen Robinson in terms of just cursed by quarterbacks. Um, Antonio Gibson's been really good. That's about it. Um, on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense is fun to watch, but offense is hard going. Jeffrey Okuda is questionable right now, but I want to see the Ohio State matchup of poor little poor Okuda in his 31 coverage grade yeah. going up against uh, former teammate Terry McLaurin. Basically, what's happened with the uh, Lions is the optimism this year involved a few what-ifs. It involves Matthew Stafford backing up an absurd, unsustainable half season from a year ago. But even if he regressed a little bit, it was the <laughs> aggressive components to it that having those play even when having those playmakers, a few of those jump balls are still going to go Kenny Galladay's way. And, and we've seen that at points during the season. And he hasn't been playing for a lot of it. That's a serious part of it like, is. their issues. But a part, like a bit, big part of the what ifs were like, well, the secondary that was terrible last year gets an influx of Jeffrey Okuda, number three overall pick, and Desmond Trufant, who has only played in three games, who was a, he's a what-if. He's a what-if because he's, he's been hurt the last few years, and at one point in his career looked like the next really good corner in this league, and it was a what-if he could get back. But the other part that of that is... Neither guy has a coverage grade over 45, yes. so they're not good. Yeah, and the fact that like coverage essentially is dead and buried in today's NFL like 2020 coverage is not what it was you know what I mean so when if you're if part of your optimism was built on hey these cornerback additions are going to transform our secondary not happening this year because everybody's getting lit up like everybody's getting torched it doesn't matter if you added really good cornerbacks because really good cornerbacks are getting lit on fire like usually when you look at the best NFL passer ratings allowed you know per season there's a couple of guys that are threatening that mark that I love for the for the number that, you know, if you're worse than 39.6, you're better off technically just throwing the ball at the dirt every play than you are targeting that cornerback. And usually halfway through the season, there's a bunch of guys hovering around that number, you know, just through variance, right? This season, there really isn't. There's like one. Uh, Kendall Fuller is the only guy that's under that number. Everybody else is over it. Like, cornerbacks this year are just getting torched. And so if, like, part of that Lions optimism was hey we added two new cornerbacks a it wouldn't have mattered even if they were playing really well and b they're not playing well so it did nothing ouch yeah <laughs> i'm taking the lions in this one against washington but where are you going with this one Ugh. yeah 
I think I'm taking Detroit for the slightly less depressing option of the two. I'm kind of surprised this is a pick em. Are you? Like, it feels like Detroit are better than that. Yeah, but I think we're talking about the, you know, Washington's just, you know, sneaky solid on defense is the thing. And Alex can at least distribute the ball. And he's unlikely to throw three picks this week. Again. Is the reality. Alex generally takes good care of the ball. He's unlikely to throw three picks. If, if Alex Smith plays his game, yes, Washington doesn't have great playmakers. But you'll get some plays from Terry McLaurin. you get some plays out of the backfield. They'll, they'll keep it close. All right. It'll be a good game. Like, I like to think it's like Mark Rippon going up against Barry Sanders in this one, in like the 91 playoffs. I'd watch that. I'm going to watch that maybe okay. after the show. We'll watch that and pretend that's what we're seeing. Washington at Detroit. All right, let's go Jacksonville Jaguars at the Green Bay Packers. This is the biggest mismatch of the week per Vegas. Green Bay by 13. Is there any way <laughs> that the Jags in Green Bay can make this into a game? There's always a way. Oh, really? Always a way. And, well, okay, yeah. Look, every time I say there isn't a way, that game ends up being ridiculously close. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah, so I'm not doing that anymore. There's always a way, but there's nothing you can point to and say it's likely. Um, Does Gardner Minshew get Gardner Minshewed? Is he going to get Wally Pipped for his own job that he Wally Pipped somebody to? Yeah. Yeah? I mean, Jake Luton, you you just continue to learn more about Jake Luton, basically. So is you that have, you wanted to get Gardner Minshew data points? Yeah. Now you want to get some Jake Luton. So is data this a points. reflection of basically already giving up on Gardner Minshew and seeing what you have in Jake, Jake Luton? Well, the battle to... the battle right now is who backs up Justin Fields. That's what they're battling <laughs> really for. Is, yeah. When does Ohio State play this weekend? They've also they're still not out of the uh, the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Right? Austin, what's what's Ohio State's plan this weekend? There'd be something ironic if Gardner Minshew, the untankable quarterback, actually tanked their way to to trevor lawrence somehow despite the jets being in existence oh that would be that would be good yeah so ohio state doesn't play this can we talk about jacksonville's young players for a second yes so i think nobody in the nfl has had more snaps from rookies this year than jacksonville right which made sense this is what their plan was throw all the young guys out there see what sticks and oh if they're bad enough that we also get trevor lawrence at the end of the season bonus right so that's basically what they've done uh and there was a couple of like encouraging starts from them, CJ Henderson in particular. Right. And all of it has like gone to hell recently. Pretty much. Except LaVisca Chenault, who has been really good, but banged up, which is kind of the MO well, of him coming out, right? So what are you left with? Well, as I'm looking at their defensive grades and I keep getting the, um, I, I've used this before, but the Bucks last six or seven years vibes or like six or seven years ago vibes where you felt you have a Levante David and you had a Gerald McCoy and nothing else. Mm. Like, just the Jaguars' grades, it's like, all right, who's playing well? Miles Jack. Miles Jack, linebacker. Josh Allen's rushing the passer all right, right? And then, so you still have those pieces. But even just the nature of linebacker play, Miles Jack this year, and, you know, he's only played in six games, but this year he's got an 89 grade. Last year he had a 45. Yeah. Right? And previously he was pretty consistent. So linebacker play is really really volatile and we talked about how the nfl's struggling as a group of linebackers this year but miles jack is a, overall a pretty good player josh allen's showing some stuff lavisca's showing some stuff dj char continues to be a legitimate deep threat had that 70 plus yard score last week so caleb on chason has eight total pressures in what nine games eight I mean, games that's all he had last year <laughs> god 
He's had 175 pass rushes to get eight pressures. He's about what we thought he was, which was, you know, a flashy, toolsy, unproductive player. But he kind of like, like it, a Rashawn Gary, who it's at the probably point needs now, a couple years to figure it out. It's at the point now where it feels like you should accidentally be falling into more pressures than that. Like years ago, there was um, in uh, soccer, right? In English Premier League, there was some absurd run that Emil Heskey for Liverpool went on. Of course. Where he scored like four goals in a season for a guy who spent the majority of his time around the six-yard box, right? It feels like just by being there for that length of time, the ball should ricochet against you for more than four goals in a season. You know what I mean? Like, just by Cano Von Chase on rushing the passer 175 times, it feels like you should accidentally be close enough to grab the quarterback more than eight times. For perspective, Devon Hamilton, the run-stopping third-round interior defensive lineman, yes. has 10 pressures, uh -huh. seven in the last two games on um, only 133 rushes. Yeah. So, yeah, like, look, the Jags have some work to do. Green Bay, can they, you know, can they even slow down Green Bay? I'm not expecting it unless Rodgers decides to have a bad game decides to have a bad game oh yeah i mean it's on him you're probably not going to force him into a bad game but who knows maybe we'll maybe we'll see a decent one i like green bay yeah by a lot hey guys life is full of questions like what would happen to my family if something happened to me am i saving enough for retirement and is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance just to name a few no one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance and with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Bye. Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Giants. Do you take in Green Bay to cover? Uh, 13. Too rich for Jake Luton. Is Jake Luton unblowoutable? They, they only lost by two last week. The yeah, Texans. they did. Um, is, is Alan Lazard back? That's key. That's key. Um, Jair Alexander is questionable, but I think he'll play. They're, they really need that secondary threat to put up, to, to cover like a two-touchdown spread. Oh, really? Yes. I think they'll be okay with just Devontae. <sighs> Right. Okay, Eagles at the Giants. They just played a few weeks ago. Eagles favored by three and a half. I have people asking me, I don't know, like the Giants won last week, so people are like, hey, you know, they... They, they can still a, win this division. They're going to make a move in the NFC East? Right, they can still win it. I well, mean, let's just crazy. say they are an Evan Ingram they're, drop yes. away from being in first place. Right, and even with that, they're only a game and a half back. They would have been three and six versus the Eagles being 2-5-1, and one, if that was the case. Yeah, they are bottom of the division and yet only a game and a half back from leading it. The bottom yeah. of the division with a 2-7 and seven record and only a game and a half back from leading it. This division, this just gets worse to look at every single week. But here's the key, right? Week 10, we can finally get a team in the NFC East overtaking the Los Angeles Rams to lead the division. Rams 4-0 in the Eagles win, NFC East. So. They go 4-4-1 four, four, which is half a game better than the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I like the Eagles here. The Eagles are getting healthier now, right? They've struggled through this disaster of bad Carson Wentz, bad quarterback, bad receiver, bad offensive line, bad everything. And they're finally starting to get some of the injured players back, which is important. Like the NFC East, it's there to be taken. 
I think Eagles are the best team when everybody's healthy. They're not everybody healthy, but they're getting there. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Eagles, Wentz bounces back. Daniel Jones playing all right, but the supporting cast hasn't been great. So I'm expecting the Eagles to win this one. Giants cover though, close game. Yes, yeah, and East the thing that can make it closer is if Carson Wentz turns the ball over a lot. He right. has 10 more turnover-worthy plays than anybody else in football. That That's could be a problem. Tough to do, Carson. He didn't Isn't turn it? it over last week in the bye. Good for uh, him. Buffalo Bills at the Arizona Cardinals, another one of the best games of the entire week. Mm-hmm. Bills traveling west. I always mention the domes. So Josh Allen in a dome, he's going to throw the ball 80 yards. 80-yard pass in this one to John Brown in the air. 80 air yards for Josh Allen is my prediction. 80 air yards. Air yards. Because it's indoors. So he's really going to chuck it Okay. in Arizona. I do like this game for Josh Allen and the Bills offense. You do? Yes. I mean, last week it was Seattle blitzing like crazy, making life a little bit easier on them. I think Arizona's going to – the teams that did have success, you know, sat in zone a little bit more and made them earn it and made them have 10, 15 play drives. They did do a good job with that last week against Seattle, but it was – against a different type of defense. I think Arizona's going to make them earn it a little bit more, though. Yeah, but I think when you look at the bad Josh Allen, the guy that made you question the, uh, the, the apology, the bad Josh Allen came in some ugly weather games. Um, and look, You're stealing my shtick here. I am, but look, it's, it matters, right? It's, I know it you does. can look at it and you can say, what's the point in being Josh Allen if you can't cut through a little bit of wind and rain? Like, you're just the same as everybody else. Like, what's the but point? But it's not just him. It's also the receivers catching the ball. Right. Bad weather affects passing the passing game. But those three games coincided with some pretty ugly weather games. Now, whatever you think about whether he should be able to overcome that, he's it's not a factor this week. He's going to the dome in the desert. He's going to be in good shape. And you look across that receiving core and you say, how the hell do the Cardinals match up with that? John Brown, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox. Like, there's too many weapons, and the Cardinals' defense isn't great in the first place. I think Josh Allen's going to deal. Yeah, the the Cardinals, you've got Drake Kirkpatrick is questionable, but when he's out there and Patrick Peterson is out is out there, they don't match up against shorter, quicker, faster receiver, good receivers. I mean, yeah. Stephon Diggs, John Brown. Stephon Diggs against Patrick Peterson could be a bloodbath if that's the way they match up. Byron Murphy versus uh, Cole Beasley good one but like yeah it, it's not a great one-on-one matchup uh for the arizona cornerbacks on the other side buffalo's got the quietly i would say the number three pass rush grade right now by pff standards i was you know it's been jerry hughes and that's it for years but i think they've slowly started to get more contributions from mario addison and ed oliver uh they're all three guys have 24 plus pressures so getting a little bit of pressure on kyler murray and then containing him this is one of those ed oliver's overall grades are quite poor because Mm -hmm. of his run defense but he's rushed the passer better and this is one of those games like in college where he would play like navy or something like that and you'd see his incredible athleticism and stuff this this is where you need to hit maybe have him make a couple of these freak plays while kyler's trying to escape the pocket yeah it's also a game i guess this is teed up for him fairly well because of those wide offensive line splits, right? And part of his problem is like technique and hand usage and getting off the block. Now you have more space to just use the speed, to just shoot the gap and get into the backfield and worry about what you're going to do with the hands later. Um, Just to back up the Josh Allen point, right? You remove, and obviously you can't do this, they happen, but strip out the, the bad weather games, three weeks, six, seven, and eight, take them out, top graded quarterbacks in the NFL, 
Number one, Aaron Rodgers. Number two, Russell Wilson. Number three, Josh Allen. 90 grade. That's just, who we're getting this week. You're, so you're just picking I'm taking out the weeks. three games that were bad weather games that hampered Josh Allen's But grade. you're also taking out the three weeks from everybody else that played that. Yes. It, it's, it's not science, but it, yeah, point taken. He's been good outside of three games. Yes. Send the apology back. I'll consider it. You need to print it out now. Where was I going with you this? You need like a more severe one because you didn't apologize the first time. You need like a harsher apology for him. Yeah. If you're listening, Bill's Mafia, Steve Get needs the check a mark. Ripped more up, severe. Ripped up original apology. Yes. Um, Tredavious White was banged up in that win last week against the Seahawks a little bit late. He's still he's questionable with an ankle. Last year we saw him match up with DeAndre Hopkins in the playoffs with the Texans. Awesome back and forth battle. Assume if if White's out there and healthy, I'll be keeping an eye on that one as well. Where are you going with this game? Since well, I know where you're going. You're going Buffalo. Yeah, Bills are winning. You're on the train, huh? I, they have the better quarterback. They're going to win. I was asked really quick. I was asked to rank the AFC teams. The AFC teams earlier today on All radio, just the top, like the top four. So okay. say Chiefs, Steelers, Ravens, Bills, Titans. Who, who's it? Give me your AFC. Well, the AFC really easy because it's Kansas City and then the rest, the end. So Pittsburgh is part of the rest. Undefeated Pittsburgh is part of the rest. Yes. Baltimore is part of the rest. Yes. Buffalo is part of the rest. Yes. Are they the next tier though? Tennessee in that tier? No. Okay. That's your tier. Buffalo, right. Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore. I'll take Buffalo to win this game because what I like about the Bills is they've won games. This is what I said about the Niners last year. Won games in different ways. They've won with Josh Allen, Allen carrying them. They've won with the run game. They've run with defense at times. They've won with all these different types of styles. I like Buffalo. All right, Denver Broncos at the Las Vegas. Give me Vegas. crap for taking Buffalo, and then you take him as well. I mean, I could take him, but I'm just I'm just giving you crap for your reasoning and apologetics and all that stuff. Denver at the Las Vegas Raiders, four and a half for the Raiders. What's the Raiders pressure rate? You pulled that out the other day. It's bad. It's like 20? Yeah, it's like 22%. TJ Watt on his own is at like 19%. Yeah, that's horrendous. Um, does Denver yeah. have a shot in this one, though? Good Denver rushes are fine. Hard to is, find, Steve. This is like the fifth straight year Denver's just like feisty in given weeks, and that's it. Like yeah. they're overall not good, but yeah. in given weeks, they'll just play some feisty football. With this Division line, game, are they gonna be, is it going to be? With this line, I can't believe you passed up the opportunity to say that Vegas is buying into Vegas. Can we redo this thing? Start it over. Vegas buying into Vegas at four and a half. Yeah, let's let's go with that take. Perfect. Yeah, that'll be the one off. Yeah, it'll be the one off. Yeah. Uh, Derek Carr fans, Raiders fans are just yelling at me all week. <laughs> they hate you. They don't even understand like timestamps. Like I had takes from two weeks ago that they're quote tweeting, and I like Carr made uh, some great throws last weekend. Yeah, but he still has more inflated stats than his grade would show. That's the bottom line. There we go. Digging deeper. Digging. How's deeper. that? His stats are really good. Yes. It's so the original question that got you into trouble trying to answer is not an unreasonable one, which is what to what do we attribute that difference, right? The idea that Derek Carr is now probably the biggest disparity between PFF grade and like regular stats, right? Usually when we do that, it's or usually when you see that, you attribute it to the offense, right? The scheme, the the Andy Reid of the world, right? That not only is Patrick Mahomes playing amazingly, but he's also got Andy Reid to inflate all those numbers. But the Raiders. Here's, here's the answer. It's John Gruden, who you don't typically want to credit for that. 
but again, our play calling rankings are based off of based off the grades that you're seeing. What are the what is the output? So that puts Gruden as actually one of the better play callers in the league um, right now. He's top five. Carr is tied for eighth in turnover worthy play percentage, which has not shown up in the box score, mm-hmm. and he's got the fifth lowest percentage of positively graded throws. So he's got expected throws or easier throws or however you want to put it that are becoming productive plays because of the people around him and the bad plays aren't showing up in the box score a lot of people fumbles plus dropped interceptions a lot of people were very mad yesterday about turnover worthy plays on twitter um i think it's worth just articulating quickly why they're good right because there's some people that are like well look if they didn't get caught if they weren't actually turned over they didn't harm the offense so who cares what's the point right it's it's almost stats but the point is that it's process it's it's analyzing process over results and over time that leads you to a better a better better analysis a better answer right so you don't focus on the bad beat in poker you focus on what you did whether you were mathematically correct to make that move um some guy I'm, i was trying to find his tweet to give him credit on twitter but can't um oh here we go james russell he said the metaphor that he uses is that if his son sticks his finger in a plug socket and doesn't come to any harm is it still dangerous or should he just ignore the issue and carry on right That's good it's perfect if you keep throwing the ball to the opposition you don't just ignore the problem because they're dropped because they didn't right. actually become turned over or they're a fumble that gets recovered by your running back instead right. of the defensive tackle they are still issues so focusing on those or not focusing on but fairly um evaluating those turnover worthy plays and saying that look these are plays that if all things are equal will become turnovers more often than not they are therefore relevant to this guy's evaluation so for a guy like Carr, that's a big part of it yes he's gotten away with a lot of plays and that's great for the team overall on the other hand the fact that he has those is what is keeping his grade down and the reason why you don't weigh them as a fan is because your emotional response with that is is just not the same right when if Derek Carr throws the ball right to a linebacker and it's dropped it's like got away with that one right but if also linebacker... because you did get away with it so it doesn't matter no but he did but like your emo- emotional response is like great second and 10 now hope we uh, capitalize on this right if it's caught it's like come on Derek that's the worst decision you've ever made you turned it over we got to take care of the ball John Gruden's talking about it at the end of the uh, end of the game got to take better care of the ball Derek made a bad decision right nobody's going back and weighing it exactly the same outside of the result all right soapbox down all that said i like the raiders their defense is rough worst second worst coverage grade in the league behind the jets or ahead of the jets they need to get better there but i like the way the raiders offense is playing also take this as a compliment just because your quarterback doesn't have the best grade in the league take it as a compliment that we're complimenting your play caller and darren waller and henry ruggs and Hunter Renfro and all the dudes that are making it happen around him. That's you what's happening with the Raiders. Short of giving Nelson Aguilar the credit. Nelson that he Aguilar, sorry. The, so the fact that Derek Carr has found a deep ball is really good for this offense. Since you made fun of him, yeah. Like the last few weeks, he's really been dropping some dimes in there, and they haven't all come as that sort of predetermined deep shot, right? There have been some out of structure where he's you know, ad-libbed and heaved a ball over the top and hit a guy in stride, he got screwed. he's been screwed out of a couple of them in the last couple of weeks as well that were there to be caught. Like Henry Ruggs had one down the sideline, didn't quite get his feet in bounds this week, 
Now you can question. The, I gave Derek Carr the big time throw of the week. You can question why he was taking that shot on third and two, but it was a dime. Don't question Derek Carr and the big time throw of the week. I'm just, I'm just saying. It was great. Might have been an easier attempt at picking up the first down, but whatever. Point is, those deep balls have transformed the threat of this Raiders offense in a way it needed to be transformed, and that's a really good thing. I'll take. I'll take Vegas in this one. I'm Watch with Vegas and in buying into Vegas. Really? Yeah. They're going to cover against uh, Denver here? Yes. Jerry Judy against the Raiders secondary. That'll be fun. There you go. Cincinnati Bengals at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers by seven. Don't they know my Joe Burrow is uh, unblowoutable? Unblowoutable. Isn't that, though, isn't that reflected in this line? Like, this feels like it could easily have been a double-digit line, and yet it isn't. I mean, if you looked at the records, you would maybe think that. We continue to harp on the Steelers not being as good as say what are they eight now I keep I, I keep having them as 10 and 0 in my head just because they're going to be there I think right they have the Bengals and then Jacksonville prior to Thanksgiving yeah and so what are they eight now yep and but they're coming off the game against Dallas Garrett Gilbert led Dallas where they snuck by so mm -hmm. I think odds makers know that that's a part of it as well and they make the odds not based off record it's based off how good the team actually is so Steelers by seven at home feels about right. Yeah, it does. It it, it feels right. I'm just kind of surprised that um, it isn't larger, uh, particularly given how how much of a disaster it was well, when Big Ben Joe also Burrow, might not play. Yeah, that's because a big of the part injury. Of but um, given how big a disaster Joe Burrow had against Baltimore, who are basically the next most pressure happy team in the NFL after Pittsburgh, but. I do think that this game is going to go very different to that for a key reason. They're both well-equipped to cause all kinds of problems for Joe Burrow in terms of pressure, but they do it in very different ways, and in particular, they behave very differently behind that pressure. So the reason Baltimore is such a nightmare for those young quarterbacks is because they will send a blitz at you, they will rely on you being able to diagnose that blitz and want to go to a specific place to, to attack it, right? Hot reads, essentially. So when a free rusher is coming off my left, the hot, I'm, that guy is hot and I'm throwing in behind him to the space he just vacated, right? Baltimore knows that, so they drop a guy you're not expecting to be there into that space. They effectively throw somebody underneath the place you want to go with the ball. Pittsburgh don't. They just come after you and say, all right, get, see if you can get anything done behind this because we're sending a lot of bodies and the ones that we're sending are going to win one-on-one. -on -one and you're just going to be under pressure really fast. So they don't do the creative things that the Ravens do on the back end. So they're, they're going to cause Burrow all kinds of problems, but it's problems I think he'll be able to diagnose and attack. Now, it doesn't mean he won't get his ass kicked in the process, but he will at least understand where to go with the ball and be able to get it there. It's going to be a challenge because the Bengals have been pass happy this year. Yeah. And I don't completely blame them. They've been pass happy when they say, we can't win up front. We're going to put you in empty and spread it around. And I think they're going to look at the Steelers and, you know, like I've said for other teams, we can't run. Right. So go get him, Joe. Yep. I hope this doesn't hurt his development getting crushed. No, but I, I think I think this is more in line with the other games he's dealt with. Like, if this was a game like Baltimore's where not only were they going to bury him, but they're going to confuse the crap out of him at the same time, that's bad. Yeah. There's no way. Like, that's just, a, that's just a bad day at the office. Like, there's nothing you can learn from that. This, though... 
it's a it's a hell of a challenge. You're like you're going to be running for your life. There's going to be guys coming at you all day, but you're going to know where to go with the ball. You're going to have the options to do it because we're going to be spreading them wide. Go get them, Joe. I'm going to say something crazy. What do you got? Bengals pull off the upset. Yes. Bengals Love pull it. off the upset. Joe Burrow fourth quarter comeback. Love it. It's going to be the turning point in the Bengals franchise. They're going to the point franchise. to this week yes. in this win by Joe Burrow against the Steelers. Joe Can we Burrow. cut that if I'm wrong, please? Thank you. Forget right. cutting it. That's your one-off for the day. Done. Perfect. Wrapped. Already in. San Francisco. Well, good, because I have a call. Sweet. We have a hard out here. San Francisco 49ers at the New Orleans Saints. Saints coming off a demolition of their division rival, Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah. So my question is, was this the turning point? Are the Saints just are they are they are what they thought we were? They were are they are hmm? are they? Who's on first? What are the Saints awesome? Or are they going to regress back into what they've been, which is pretty good? <sighs> so I, all the things we said about how Tampa Bay got outcoached are relevant, right? Like they beat the living crap out of the Bucks. On the other hand, the Bucks also helped by having a bad game plan on either side of the ball. The 49ers probably won't have a bad game plan on either side of the ball. So the Saints immediately have one thing not going in their direction from a week ago. On the other hand, the 49ers have everybody hurt. So it probably won't matter. Um, I mean, that's really the story of this game. That is, as much as Kyle Shanahan might be a Rembrandt and a magician in Tin Cup, I mean, this is only extends so far. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think we'll see another dominant outing from the Saints. Yeah, they got... They got pressure. Uh, Niners have struggled with with not only like pressure, but just forcing the ball out of their quarterback's hands, whether it is Garoppolo or Mullins. Saints back home in the Dome, spreading the ball around. Michael Thomas, all their weapons back. So I think the Saints win by a lot. I mean, the big blow to the 49ers is the River Craycraft is questionable. Man, this was his big opportunity too. Mm. River. Saints going to cover the nine. Yes. Against Rembrandt against Rembrandt last year when they played when the Niners were really good they pulled off the upset in the dome both in like a big 12 game yeah what they score like 45 41 or whatever George Kittle like last George yeah, Kittle yeah. but yeah the Niners are a completely different team right now completely yeah. banged up and I think the Saints impose their will in all phases in this one all right let's wrap it up with Monday Night Football the Minnesota Vikings at the Chicago Bears the Vikings are favored by yeah. two and a half. Consequently, this becomes, in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Exploding Whale in a beach in Oregon, this becomes the Exploding Whale game. Chicago. Chicago is the Exploding Whale. For anyone that's wondering what level of stroke I'm currently experiencing, the uh, Exploding Whale theory was a metaphor that we came up with, like, what, two years ago? Last year, it was the Falcon, the... Wasn't it before last one year? One win Falcons. It was last year. Last year? beat the saints who were rolling yeah and they held the saints to like nine points at home for no reason yes. sacked breeze six times exactly what we're saying out. right is there any reason at team x can win this game there no was zero reason that the falcons should have been able to beat right. the saints the way they did last so year the metaphor is that when you ever you know every now and again a whale dead whale washes up on a beach and just festers there right a once glorious leviathan of the sea just ignominiously washes up on a beach and festers and rots to the point where all the noxious gases inside eventually build up and the thing explodes and destroys everything around it, right? So the Falcons in that scenario were the dead whale. Once great, glorious Super Bowl team lying in ribbons 
as a one and seven team explode and destroy everything around it. This is the Chicago Bears this this week. Are they really? No, but it's the 50th anniversary of the original dead whale, so I have to, to I have to work it in somewhere. If there was more on the line for Minnesota, isn't this like the classic game where it's Kirk Cousins, prime time on the road against the Bears defense that has you know been tough? Isn't this like the classic game where it's like, all right, Kirk, this is why you got Kirk. You know, this, now it's like the pressure's off Kirk <laughs> at this point. Who cares? Is it? So they're talking now about adding an extra playoff team in addition to the extra playoff well, team. Yeah, I mean, they're still added. technically in it, right? Right. So Minnesota, I mean, even without that, Minnesota are kind of in the hunt, like absurd as absurd as that is. If you add another one, but that, that, that relies on a game getting killed by COVID somewhere along the line. But if they do add another game... Like, the Vikings have a shot of the playoffs. So you make a run and you try to kill a game by COVID. You try and do it? You just send, like, Trojan it. horses into other camps? I'm just saying, if you're trying to save your job, you make it to the playoffs or something like that. So you have, like, every week you send one guy into no, the middle and bad, sneezing on it's people? It's a bad joke. I, I'm not even, I never said that. Okay. Um, running backs don't matter, but Dalvin Cook does, right? Uh, yeah, it certainly looks that way at the moment. He's averaging six yards per carry. He's averaging four after contact. He's got 200 yards more than anybody else against a stacked box, against an eight-man box. Like, his numbers are not – they shouldn't be now possible. Was it an eight-man box against Detroit when they had 10 men on the field and he ran for 70 yards? Should there I mean, be an asterisk we're, next we're, to that run? them in the box? That's all I care about. <laughs> uh, Dalvin – I keep coming back to my thing. If, if I'm going to have a running back on my team, and chances are you're going to. Yes. I want a dude that could take it to the house anytime. And that's the value of Dalvin Cook. And as long as you're not feeding him the ball 30 times with hopes that that's going to happen, which I think is there's value there. Ironic because that's the exact opposite of what David Montgomery is, where if you parted the Red Seas at their five yard line, there's no way he would make it the 95 yards to score. Well, he's like, so he's like Drew Brees in that hit, like if we're using the sliders, you've got breakaway ability slider, Down and then the you have the force missed tackles, maximize really the run high. blocking. Yeah. Uh, slider okay. now Dalvin's got both but then you, you you have a guy that just can only take it to the house if everything's blocked up well yeah. but can't really create on his own which might actually be Saquon Barkley no who, you know who that is who uh, Darren McFadden oh McFadden yeah 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 McFadden's literally only good if you can give him a right. straight 70 straight line run. speed yeah. slider and all the it, way up and he'll do it fast miss tackle slider all the way down so there's value in David Montgomery I mean he's like a Frank Gore light to be honest like Frank Gore he was yeah. a solid runner a good runner he's not a bad player you, you put just, him in the open field yeah. he's not gonna he's not gonna run away from anybody yeah, he's not a bad player it's just like when you see him burst through the line and get to the second level that sort of the area where Dalvin Cook makes his own Montgomery's just like running out of gas before yeah. anybody even gets near him David Montgomery versus Dalvin Cook that's what we're watching for on Monday Night Football sweet here. also Kirk against uh Nick Foles yeah wow tune in you know who has the best PFF great passing grade in the NFL against man coverage? Kirk Cousins. Yes. Thank you, Justin Jefferson. Yeah. How about that? The Vikings going to stick with Kirk. I mean, they don't really have their an guy. option. They, they need to draft somebody, right? Like, even if you're stuck with Kirk for another while, it's irresponsible at this point to not at least be taking looks at rookie quarterbacks. I think Minnesota's, Minnesota's young player development in the second half of the year is a story, and we'll see if Dalvin can keep it up. He's awesome. I'm taking Minnesota on the road here at Chicago. I think it'll be a good game, though. I could see that. You got Chicago in the upset. Do I? All right. That's okay. what I see. Yeah, I do. Okay. All right, that's it for the games. Well, dead whale. Exploding whale. The dead whale. Exploding whale game. We'll be back here Monday to 
break down the exploding whale, of course. Let's get to uh, to Mina Kimes talking all things ESPN and takes and Dan Orlovsky and Seahawks and all sorts of fun. So here's Mina. All right, we are thrilled to be joined by Mina Kimes. It's a home and home, Mina. Is that what we call it right here? Because we were on your podcast a few weeks ago, so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I was thinking about your appearance on my show, The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, well during the Bucks saints game, hmm. the infamous now beatdown of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I actually think a lot of uh, the topics we discussed, which was we were trying to pick out the weaknesses for each playoff team, really manifested itself in this game because we had a hard time. This was th- two or three weeks ago coming up with weakness for the Bucs and we inevitably, I think it inev- eventually settled on Tom Brady struggles under pressure. And yes. then we were talking about the Saints. We said the Saints pass defense, but we don't think this will last. And poof! That's <laughs> there it what is. determined the game. Bucks weakness, everything. We missed that's well, what we that missed. Is what, yeah. Really everything. Yeah. When Brady's games. under pressure, it's bad, and he was under pressure every single snap. <laughs> every Completely snap. different than the yeah. first, you know, eight games of the season. So yeah, go check out that podcast. It was probably your best, right, of the year? A hundred percent. Crescent. Yeah. I mean, just an incredible podcast. Um Brady actually has the worst QBR in the league under pressure, by the way. You just How about that? Touting ESPN stats. Here on the PFF oh, NFL Oof, podcast. Sorry. Unbelievable. Know your audience. some win rates. Know your audience. Uh, we going to talk about Aaron Donald playing the run, too? Are you, <laughs> oh, boy. Do you have to, like, is that in your contract? Do you have to back up Brian, or how's that work? Uh, Seth Walder was actually on my podcast this week, and I didn't bring it up, but, you know, Lenny might have brought it up. Oh, yes. Lenny. Seth, I like Seth. He's good. I like Brian, too. Yeah. I just think they, uh, Brian keeps digging. He just keeps digging. Anyway, let's get into it. (laughs) Sam, do you want to kick things off? Yeah. So as we know, Mina, you can't talk football on national TV without having been a former player or a former coach of some kind. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your former playing career? Yep. Let's hear it. Yeah, sure. Um, Didn't play D1. So, you know, that worked against me going into the pros. Undrafted. Again, also right. worked against me, yeah. but Underdog. eventually, you know, I, I, I established a little bit of a journeyman type career. Oh, I, for those who don't know, I was a defensive tackle. Um, bounced around Bengals, your hometown, spent a little bit of time in Pittsburgh, just enough to like, I think, establish myself as a fan favorite. Definitely a high motor player. Oh, undeniably. Yeah. Like motor. flying Brian yeah. Pillman. Nose tackle for the Bengals. <laughs> it's like the same story. He's about your the side. The highest of motors. Anyway, like five people. Actually, we'll have a lot of people. Think. A lot of people got my Bud Bowl reference. Yeah. Do you remember the Bud Bowl? How old are you again? The Sorry, Bud Bowl. I, I do not. I actually, so I, I've told you guys this. I listened to your podcaster as much as I can get through in my drives. It's very long. And when you talked about that. that this week, right? I didn't know what you're talking about. You didn't? Yeah, there you go. She didn't Great. get it. Unbelievable. So many people tweeted at me. At least six people tweeted and they were very excited about the Bud Bowl references. Also, it's always great to have a listener on here as well. Yeah. Yeah. One of the millions. She's the one who always leaves before the guests show up, yes. which is fine, which is fair. You know, I mean. Well, now, now it makes sense, right? Because she'll be able to jump off before yeah, she Yeah, she won't herself. have to listen to herself here. All right. I, I want to talk about Seahawks. I want to talk about Seahawks Twitter. Can you, because, oh. you know, I don't know. Our people don't really understand Seahawks Twitter. Um, maybe some of them do. Can, can we just like describe Seahawks Twitter and like that little corner of the internet? Your people. I think um, CX Twitter, I feel like, is PFF fans. Definitely not like Bill's Twitter or Steeler's Twitter, where they hate you. Although, I don't know, maybe Bill's Twitter likes you now. Bill's are back, at least for me. 
You know, the, the really interesting one has been Dolphins Twitter, because I saw a Dolphins beat reporter citing the fact that PFF gave uh, a couple of the offensive linemen good grades for their last performance. And Dolphins Twitter, which had been very uh, angry at PFF, suddenly was was presenting this to me as evidence that the offensive line is good. And I was like, you can't have it both ways. I mean, you can say they improved, right. but you can't, you can't shit on it. And then, you know. Um, but Seahawks Twitter is, I think, a strange, toxic, occasionally brew of memes and uh, analytically friendly takes. Nice. That was okay. pretty concise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Dolphins Twitter know what they're doing. They're pitting us against each other. They're, they're trying to drive a wedge between the people that recognize that their offensive line isn't great and use one against the other. It's very it's, it's sophisticated trolling. Have you run into any other uh, abusive fan bases this year? How's that going so far? Um, trying to, it's hard to keep track of who's Greg Rosenthal. I don't know if you guys have had him on your podcast, but oh, yeah. I'm sure you know him. Uh, and I talk a lot about who the worst fan bases are. And generally, it's all of the Northeastern fan bases of big teams. So like New England, Giants, like those Philly. And any fan base that has a young quarterback is usually bad. Yeah. Yeah, you have to believe in the young quarterback. Yes. So when you they're so, always overly defensive. So when you have a young quarterback in the Northeast like Josh Allen, you know it's just very, very toxic. It all that's a lot. It all explodes. Sam, that's a good. Yeah. She's already cussed, so you can get into the next one. Yeah, perfect. I so I was I, I caught a couple of minutes of you earlier on Pat McAfee's show on Twitter. I saw a little clip that he posted up, and during that like couple minute long clip, you dropped multiple f bombs. Multiple. Yeah, and it, you know, it was a little bit jarring because I'm used to seeing you on TV where nobody cusses. How easy is that to switch off yeah. when you go on like national TV and you have to, okay, no, 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 must not cuss, must not drop the F-bomb. Must not cuss, yeah. yeah. It's like seeing a teacher in their street clothes, right? Right. Like, it, was, it was strange. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's, um, there's an F-bomb, and then another one followed right behind it. I've never cussed on national television. There is a part of your brain you have to like press the switch and it's not just cussing there's a few things that it affects right. like how you talk it's very different from a podcast conversation the tone the length at which you talk is different like you gotta in when you're doing television you have an internal clock going right like you're not you can't talk for as long but you have to anyways all of that energy it's different but i have cussed on an espn broadcast we did a twitter live show we've done them for the last three drafts the last one wasn't live but um, I cussed when the Seahawks drafted Rashad Petty. <laughs> yeah, Did you can. Yeah, fortunately, I think it's not on the internet, um, but that happened. Nice. Did you? Yeah. You lose your fandom when you're on TV, right? Or, or do they embrace it? Do they embrace um, you being a fan? You know, so you can't really hide it, right? Like, I mean, literally, I have a Seahawks Super Bowl forty eight tattoo, so. Physically, they don't hide it unless it definitely makes these. it harder. But yeah. um, I think I probably am. I strive to be like harder on the team in certain ways than if I wasn't a fan. Yeah, I think like, and I, I'm not gonna go on TV and say Seattle got job like for a call or something dumb like that. That's homerism, right? But I think, and this is true of any fan, and I think any person in media who covers it who covers national news or the entire league, but has a particular team they care about. I just know a lot more about them than anyone else. And that's something I have to, 
mitigate a little bit. And like nobody wants to hear about my takes on why Ugu Amadi's absence maybe affected Seattle's ability to play like nickel. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing you have to watch out for. Um, but I, I'm not going to like pretend like I, I'm not a fan. People should want that, though. If you're on NFL Live, people should want that level of analysis. Maybe we'll get into some, we'll get into hardcore Seahawks analysis in a little bit. Any questions? Yeah. Um, so you've you've been an actual commentator on a game, right? On on games. How, di- games. how difficult is that? There there are games too. Preseason. Well, actually, too. I would argue you could argue that preseason. In some ways, it's less difficult because less significantly less people are watching. Um, yeah, just like. The but local in some audience. ways, it's more difficult because it's freaking preseason football. Like one half these dudes, you don't know who the hell they are. Although it, it's really fun when you get invested in a guy in the preseason, then he becomes like an actual good player yeah, somewhere absolutely. or meaningful. Like we'll be watching the Rams and people will be like, Oh, cool. Like Oka, Samson, who, Samson, Samson. Uh, what's his last name? Can you do it? Nice job. Wow. Eastern Washington's finest. He had a big, um, I think scoop and score on the way to the Super Bowl, Right. As I recall, didn't he? That was in 2018. Yeah. I would just, Abukam? I just hey. remember when Mr. Uh, Mr. Witten had trouble with the name. So I wanted to put you oh, on the spot for uh, it. Yeah. So, well, in any case, um, it's also hard because like the in-game action matters a little bit less. You're not as dialed into like, what is the team doing right now? What does it mean for the game? It's more of a conversation about the roster. And so I've said this before, but like before the Rams, my first Rams preseason, I like read a book on the Rams offense and I was like, oh my God, I'm so ready to talk about like Sean McVay's like, you know, various like inside zone, wide zone, outside zone concepts. And then people were like, wait, you don't actually, you think he's going to do any of this stuff that he, like none of that matters. And, and I realized that pretty quickly. So you're overprepared. Yeah. But preseason, I think is probably useful for color commentary because it doesn't matter if you talk over a random play on second down in the middle of the fourth quarter when you don't know who any of the people right. are anyway. Whereas if you do that in like Sunday night football, it's kind of a problem. Yeah. I mean, the whole, um, how much preparation did you do for that from just like a, like a timing standpoint? Like if I had to have, I, I watched Chris, you know, closely, my boss, and I'm thinking, man, that's, that job is tough because as soon as he yeah. misspeaks one time, everybody's all over him. And I know, you yeah. know, nobody was watching the Rams preseason game that you did, but still, like, you know. You, My mom was watching. Just, How dare you? Um, and she th- she thinks you did a great job, by the way. Some 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 of the, the timing stuff I did I had no preparation. So I just watched, went back and watched a couple preseason games to get a sense of, like, the flow of conversation. It was also a three-man booth with Andrew Siciliano, friend of your show, I believe. Yeah, yes. of course. Um, yeah, he was here a few weeks back. Love Andrew. Who's become, like, a super close friend of him. He's just a wonderful human being. And then another wonderful human being in Nate Burleson. So they're great and they're super generous, kind guys, but like it is, it, it's like doing three person radio or even a three person podcast. You really have to uh, learn sort of the verbal cues and sometimes the nonverbal cues of when to talk and for how long to talk. Like when somebody's punching you in the arm, it's probably time to shut up. That yeah. kind of thing. Siciliano, show. man, always pinching me. <laughs> Andrew is great. Oh, He's awesome. He gave Love us him. a shout out on Red Zone a couple of weeks ago because that's Aww. what he does. Um, so I have a, I have another personal question. <laughs> okay. Do you have an all-time favorite player? Who's your Marshawn all- Lynch? Marshawn Lynch. Nice. Or is there like an uh, are there others or is it just is there a top three um, or is it just Marshawn? This is sounds like a hipster answer because I wasn't like coherent. Steve Hutchinson. 
sentient when he played, but Kenny Easley is a, uh, one of my favorite Seahawks in part because, so for those who aren't familiar with his work, uh, I'm sure there's like a hardest hits compilation you can pull up on YouTube pretty quickly. One of the best safeties of all time, Seahawks legend, career too short. Um, and part of the reason I love him so much is not because I love that style of play and grew up, my dad taught me who he was and all of that. Um, but also because I, and I did an article on this right when I started ESPN, I don't think many people have read it. Um, while he was on the team, so in the eight, late 80s, many of the players had side jobs like selling real estate and whatnot because they weren't paid enough to only play football. And his side job while he was on the Seahawks was publishing a newsletter about the Seahawks <laughs> while he was, it's called Inside the Seahawks. That's amazing. And oh my gosh, I have some copies around here, but I would have to get up and show you. They're beautiful. And they have original paintings like Jacob Green and stuff on the cover. And the editor of the newsletter was a woman that he picked to edit it. So Wow. Did he come yeah, off yeah. well from this newsletter quite consistently? You know? Yeah, speaking of unbiased like, hey, media. It's amazing. Media. Yeah. There, it's a lot of um lifestyle stuff about the players and you know, stuff going on around the league, maybe not the hardest hitting. But can you imagine today if like, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to think of like the honey badger had a like a magazine about the chiefs or something it just makes me laugh i could see that i'd read that i would watch i, would I, would, I thought you were gonna say steve largent but you know i guess richard sherman has a podcast on your that's true yeah. and that they gonna, all do what so. happens when he has to start playing he's still gonna find time for chris huh yeah yeah he'll, he'll squeeze squeeze in the podcast time no no chris will squeeze him in chris okay. is chris right. is the busy one here chris, he'll squeeze sherman go ahead so I'm curious, ESPN, we're in this weird uh, world of media landscape now where everything is driven by clicks, by engagement, by, um, you know, viewership, by numbers. Everyone's kind of scrambling to keep their heads above water as, as the world changes. What kind of tension have you found between, you know, giving takes, between giving, you know, provocative uh, stances on things and just, you know, telling the truth, telling the story, telling what you see. Well, I, I would first start by saying TV has always been driven by ratings. So sure. I don't think that's, that's a new phenomenon. But I think the question of what drives ratings has evolved over time, right? I think people, there, there used to be sort of more taking audiences for granted on television because everybody just watched the same like 10 shows and we could have a longer conversation about media and that but for me personally um i think like i am not i i believe that people tune in to watch me and my colleagues not because they necessarily want the hottest possible take or because they want the driest possible analysis i think People generally, something that's corny, but like I think people really like watching people who actually look like, seem like they like football and also can educate them and entertain them at the same time. So on my show, NFL Live, like we really wanted to come across, and this is something we talk about a lot, how much we love our jobs. That sounds so stupid, but um, it's no, not fun to watch matters. or listen to people who don't care. And that is the most important thing. Now, I, I, I every, we all have our sort of various um lanes and the things that maybe aren't for everyone and then the dorkier sides of things which is the educating side of it and me personally i've tried to find a way to um bring numbers for example to the table in a way that is actually entertaining 
So talk me through, like, without getting, you know, too inside baseball, how does the sort of content creation part of that show work? Who's coming up with the yeah. ideas? Who's pushing back on ideas? Who's saying, nobody's going to listen to that. That sucks. Dump that segment, get a new one. How does that all work? So um, it depends on the day of the week, really. Football's so uh, tied to schedule, right? right? Like, so I'm on the Monday show, which is largely a reaction to Mon Sunday's games. Typically by Sunday evening, we know which games we want to talk about, whether it's Seahawks-Bills or even the Car Cardinals-Dolphins is a game maybe going into the weekend we didn't know we wanted to talk about, but coming out of Sunday, we're on a group text all day that's like, we got to do a segment about Tua. Like, that was awesome. Let's talk about Tua and Kyler, right? So we're uh, communicating as the day goes on. And then in the morning, accounting for news, we choose the five. Our, our show is five blocks. We choose the five blocks topics that we want to talk about. Usually there's like a Monday night preview too. Then on Tuesday, maybe we're reacting to Monday. We're getting to stuff we didn't get to talk about on Sunday. Um, but again, we decide in the morning. And then we have a big call every morning where me, Dan Orlowski, Marcus Spears, Ryan Clark, if he's on with me, like we, and Laura Rutledge who hosts the show, we all kind of give our general opinions to see how they mesh together because it's not fun to listen to three people with the exact same opinion. Um, but it's not a fabricated, it's not a debate show, right? Like we're right. not arguing. No. We're just presenting different thoughts and insights, more like, you know, more like a podcast in some ways. You'll definitely have a different take from Dan. I mean, that's some you, you'd be shocked how often Dan and I have similar takes, but yeah, Come like on. coming out of the um, Ravens Colts game, we had almost identical takes about the Ravens offense. We were texting all day about what we saw in the second half out of Lamar Jackson and what was that kind of just shared similar views. What was that? Uh, I thought or do we have to tune into NFL? Did you say what was it? Yeah. Yes. What were the, <laughs> what were the Ravens takes this weekend? Uh, I was really, really impressed by the Ravens offense in the second half. That was a game I watched really closely and they looked you know, absolutely horrible in the first half and sort of fulfilled a lot of the concerns that I think people have had about how static it's looked at times. And the, the Colts defensive line was absolutely owning them at the line of scrimmage. But you saw them go more up-tempo, less empty. Uh, I was texting, you know, our last game, I was texting like, yeah, did you notice this is uh, Lamar, you know, like more play action. I mean, you know, it's just, then it was it was working and and i think sometimes him and i have the same opinion about something but we can talk about it in sort of different ways and approach it differently so <clears throat> my follow-up to that is on a sunday how are you consuming and taking in all of the action you focused on a couple games you're trying to get eight at a time here what 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 are you yeah what are you doing uh so going into the sunday i know which games we're probably going to focus on right like i knew we were going to um, on the, this past Sunday, talk about Ravens Colts. So I had it on one of my big screens. So usually I always have either red zone and then one screen or two screens. Sometimes I don't have red zone if there's two really big games. Um, and then at the end of the night, usually there's like one game I have to catch up on that I didn't get to that we're going to talk about uh, perhaps. And I'll just watch as much of it as I can. Obviously, the All 22 is not out. So I'm just getting through the condensed stuff. But um, and then throughout the week, I can finally actually catch up on things and watch them. I should add, I always watch the Seahawks too. I was going to say, honestly, yeah, like, when that's not one of the games that you're supposed to watch, right? And then you have to yeah. you know, squeeze that in somewhere, right? That's a, that's a challenge. It's a challenge when no one wants, I'm like, nobody wants to talk about the Seahawks absolute annihilation of the, de the desiccated husk of the 49ers last week. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's Sundays are busy. Same as, I imagine you guys are pretty similar, right? Yeah, I try to... 
I try to put on like the eight box mix because we try to touch on every game on Monday morning, which is, you know, stupid on our part. Yeah. But we try to have something for everybody. It's amazing. Yeah. You can do that. Um, It's not easy, but we try to take them all in. Tell me what went wrong in the Seattle Seahawks kitchen. The Russ, Russell, Chef Russ was cooking up some things that were not palatable this last week. What happened? We're going to we're going to focus on Russ instead of the defense. All right. Yep. Um, Yep. He was serving up uh, turnovers. Serving up turnovers. <laughs> and I've heard you guys, I, I, I wouldn't call it concern trolling, but this ongoing narrative you have about how they're going to stop passing because of <laughs> Russ's turnovers. Yeah, I forgot that you listened to it. Honestly. Us. Right, it's unfortunate, <laughs> right? I don't want that energy out in the world. I think the Seahawks, and I'm not going to say why I think this necessarily, but they're very aware of how... Uh, less than stellar their defense is. And I don't think internally there is the belief that running more is going to solve that issue and string together. Although the, the, the Seahawks have been interestingly horrible on third downs, but that the reasons for that are more complicated. But as far as Wilson, um, he's had some trouble this year with simulated pressure. I'm sure you guys have caught some of those picks. Bills did it again, the same way the that Arizona got him in overtime. Yeah, so that's not not the best, and I I do sometimes wonder if that has to do with his size, perhaps. Um, but I'm not terribly concerned about him. I think that is very low on the list of issues. I don't think you can blame us for speaking this into existence. If it does happen and the Seahawks eventually do, you know, run home to mommy and become conservative, that's not our fault for predicting it. No. It's daddy. daddy. It's Pete Carroll. Um, So I, 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 I I think that there's a lot of energy this week focused on fixing that defense. So defensively though, this is fascinating to me. I do Seattle radio every week and I, you know, I I sound like when you, when you do like the same hit every week, it's, it's like a broken record. Like what's wrong with Seattle? It's still the corners, right? Like it's still the same thing, but it is a, it is a different scheme this year, right? So PFF, we're famous for coverage over pass rush, right? That's our thing. And we've talked about it with you on your, on your podcast, but for that to work, it can't really be one of those, you know, cover three, four-man rush type of systems if you literally have nobody to get after the quarterback. So defensively, do you think Seattle said, we we have a terrible front four, we do have to make the most of Jamal Adams, we're going to blitz him like yeah. crazy, we're going to blitz Bobby like, like crazy, and they're just still trying to find their way in a completely different system? Well, you know what's interesting about that is they actually got more pressure with a standard rush against the Bills than they did when they were blitzing. Um I think the week before against San Francisco, they blitzed and had a ton of success they did. doing so. Yeah. Against um I also think that the San Francisco offense and the Bills offense are very different. Yeah. Which is why I was so frustrated with the Seahawks defensive game plan against Buffalo, because every offense is different, every game is different. And while in some cases, due to their deficiencies, in the back, I do think blitzing more, sending unexpected pressure makes sense against the Bills, a team that other defenses is, defenses is, have um, had success doing the exact opposite against. Yeah, and sitting in zone week after and, week. Yeah, right, exactly. I would not have taken that approach, especially when one of our quarterbacks was clearly injured in Quentin Bar. He was, you know, wounded. So I was 
pretty surprised. They, I, I think I, yes, this is true. That's the most man coverage Seattle's played in at least two seasons. I think it was like 65%. I mean, they were in cover like zero and cover one a lot in that game. And I just was befuddled by that because they were actually able to get a fair amount of pressure. Allen was on his back, you know, seven right. times, but it doesn't matter if you can't cover for shit. Yeah. What did you make of them or of Pete Carroll coming out and basically saying, um, you know, we had a great game plan for their run game. It just never really yeah. occurred to us that they might pass the ball all day. I thought it was bizarre, given, again, who you're playing, a team that is much better passing and also was passing at a high rate. They ran against the Pats because Brian Dable wisely saw that it was working, right? This is the, like the thing. And it was crazy. It was windy. And rainy, like weather was a factor yes. too in the Bills' previous games. But this is what I, I get kind of one of those misconceptions about analytics I try to like dispel a lot on our air is like we're all for running when running is effective. Right. If you're in short yardage or whatever, or you're going against a shitty run defense. I mean, um, but anyways, I, I found that weird. I, I will say I think it was a little bit over. I don't want to say he's misspoke necessarily, but um, he did later say, I meant for like the first you know, drive or whatever, but they were down, they were in the hole 14-0 pretty quickly there. So even if it was just for the first drive, it, it was completely befuddling to me. I like to extrapolate it out and blame them for everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair. That's no, okay. They'll bounce back, though. They'll be fine. They got to figure something out defensively at some point in the second half but of the season. Getting right? Griffin back will help. I, I mean, that you know, Amadi. Yeah. It's all about Amadi. <laughs> it's all about Amadi. Carlos Dunlap looked good. That was yes, um, but promising. How good can he be wearing number 43? <laughs> it was, honestly, every time he got, you know, did something, got a pressure, a sack, and stood up, I was shocked in you seeing that number on the field. Are they just trying disgusting. to, like, screw up the offense? Like, oh, here comes a safety. They got a safety in the box again. There's 43. All six foot nine of them? Yeah. yeah. Just sneak him up as a safety. It's genius, really. I mean, it didn't work at all, but, you know, it's genius. I don't think that's a successful plan going forward. Let's just hope they don't notice that the six foot nine guy is not a safety. Carlos, is, uh, his house is still for sale down the street here. Yeah. So it might go, go for a showing, maybe. You should. Yeah. All right. I think we've taken enough of your time, Mina. <laughs> plug, plug where you are. Where can everybody see you every single week and every day? Yeah, I, the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. Both of you guys have made now multiple appearances. Uh, this week we have Seth Walder, who's an analytics writer at ESPN, talking about um, many things. What happened with the Bucks? Uh, which AFC team can potentially challenge Kansas City, which is kind of how I view the NFL right now. Which team can challenge Kansas City anywhere? Uh, I actually would love to hear your guys' thoughts on that at some point because it kind of when we were talking about the Steelers and the Ravens, we got into the coverage versus pass rush thing all over again. Uh, and it's a very, I think it's a very tricky, tricky knot, especially when Kansas City seems to be such a nightmare matchup for Baltimore. But anyways, you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. There we go. Well, thanks, Mina. Appreciate it. We'll do it again. And uh, yeah, go everybody go check her out. Mina Kimes podcast, NFL Live. Go check it out. And we're back. Yep. You're getting better at this interview stuff. Yeah? Yeah. Good job. Okay. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Anyway, thanks to Mina. Again, home and home. We've been on her podcast. She's uh, over to ours as well. And, you know, check her out everywhere. She's on the uh, your television. She does a pretty good job. You've mentioned this before of, like, pushing uh, our ideas. 
Yeah, and our just, agenda. Right. And yes, our our right? nefarious agenda. No, she's she's good at trying to involve data. I think she mentioned it at some point in the interview, but trying to involve smart numbers where right. appropriate. You know, everyone else there's there's a, a sort of segment for all of these, right? There's a segment for the guy that only watches tape and doesn't have any big picture numbers uh, background all that. There's the guy that does the opposite and there's there's a halfway house and she's pretty good at involving that area of things yeah and she makes a good point about doing tv versus sitting here in podcast land where we can just ramble forever yeah on tv you've got 20 seconds get in get out make your point and make it concise and make it clear yes right and that is a challenging thing to do when you're talking about what we you know they're complicated things that we're talking about sometimes i mean the i've never been more like <laughs> more hit is a sort of shock for what to the system than when we rolled into that um nbc draft show we had like pre-prepared bits on all these players it was like you have 15 seconds to talk about right uh jalen strong like okay well i have four points to make none of those fit in 15 seconds like <laughs> right you just watched a thousand snaps from this guy yeah every single catch we you thought know, we all, had it listed like, all of his strengths and weaknesses we thought we had it tight in the like four little bullet points and you're like what well, literally none of these bullet points fit in 15 seconds right yeah, TV is a whole different animal. But luckily, we're in podcast land where you guys can hear us ramble for two hours. You're welcome. That'll do it for us this week. Week 10. Everybody enjoy it. We'll be back here Monday morning reviewing all of the action. Everybody have a good weekend.